You are listening to Your Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Now here's your host, Hannah Moore, a CFP and the owner of Guiding Wealth Management. Thanks, Charlie. We're back this week and have the recording of the in-person You're a Financial Planner, Now What? series session on processes. These sessions are through the FPA DFW chapter, and the next one will be on June 15th here in the Dallas area. You can find more information on upcoming sessions on fpadfw.org or on our website, financialplannerpodcast.com. We'd love to see you there. Awesome. So processes. Um, I think they're one of the most important things. It's like an element of the business, right? So you have like your marketing, you have everything else. Processes are like, what do you do with clients? I guess it can also be for marketing, but it's like the how you do what you do, like the really technical get in deep processes. Well, I think it's best too if it does tie in with your marketing, but it gives you the opportunity to deliver on what you say you're going to do mm-hmm. and be accountable not only to your client, but also to yourself to be looking at everything all the time when you're following a process. If you tend to wing it, then, yeah. you know, it's happenstance and that's not what you need to be doing in planning. Mm-hmm. I always imagine myself that, that, uh, if something were to happen to me, are the processes in place that somebody else could walk into my firm and know exactly what to do? And then, I mean, that, that encompasses a lot more than just the planning and marketing, but that's what I think of when I think of processes. Am I, do I have things set up so that people know what to do and, you know, continue running a business? So. Right. And, and so that you can take some time off every now and then. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, those processes can work themselves. Mm-hmm. So. Right. I also think there's so much tension that comes around in our business due to deadlines and unexpected events that happen always at a time when you're not expecting a process saves you from, you know, going off the deep end and being completely frantic because you have that foundation to fall back on. And it's perhaps easier to bring in other team members to help. Kind of like the bigger picture. I was talking to um, Nathan Harness, a professor from A and M, uh, yesterday, and we were talking about you know financial planning as a profession. And one of the things that we're still developing is like what is financial planning? And there's not consensus, or in there's not consensus around like what is financial planning. And that's very process based. And it's like if we can start identifying like what are the basic steps within financial planning, that's going to get us even closer to being a profession, right? I think that is true. It makes it hard for our consumers to know what financial planning is if it's not a consistent experience mm-hmm. when they go to different offices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like my background being at the broker dealer where they did primarily investment management, like they would do financial planning like on the notebook. So it would be like clients would come in and we talk about their life and it would be, we'd talk about everything that touched their finances, but there wasn't a clear structure around that it was just you know back of the napkin type Mm -hmm. type things it's like to move forward we have to have structure Mm -hmm. and touch on things that perhaps we don't really feel like are top of the mind important in the moment which is what you tend to find in a brokerage firm they're gonna they will touch on those things that are top of mind and important in the moment i was trained that way in my first career uh, at a broker dealer 
but you don't ask the questions that are going to help you when the client calls the next day after a meeting and says, you know what, my husband didn't wake up this morning. Because at the time that you're with your client, that's not something that you're expecting. So you don't address it if you don't have the full financial planning process mm -hmm. as your model. Yeah. And one of the interesting kind of ideas is, too, is like, you know, we talk about it's, it's easy to build process around investments. It's easy to build process around meetings. But I think it's also really important that we build process around like the softer side of money things. Like how do we, how do we do that? Like how do we incorporate those conversations that are the interior side of money or, you know, whatever we may call that, like again, for us to move forward, like we have to incorporate those things into that. And I think there's some really great groups who are really kind of trailblazers in that, like the Sudden Money Institute and Money Quotient. Those groups are really I mean, I know Sudden Money, like their whole thing right now is how do we take all of these tools that we've used to help like people with the emotional side of transition and how do we build process around that so that we could implement it in firm, you know, firm wide rather than just one advisor who kind of brings in tools here or there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was talking to Susan actually this morning, Susan Bradley this morning, and this got brought up and, and it's the, it's you know, she said it's so essential that we have processes around this because people either go, spend far too much time on it, they get consumed by it, or they ignore it. And so people just naturally gravitate towards one or the other when really the best option is somewhere in the middle. And process is what helps you kind of figure out, like, what is that best middle that we want to be in? I would agree. A lot of it happens with experience. One client at a time, you deal with something that you weren't prepared for, and then you realize if we had a process around this, when we see it the next time, it'll go a lot more smoothly for the client and for us. Yeah. And if you don't have the experience, like I didn't, or I still don't, um, but processes give you that confidence. Right. Knowing. Um, so I think you don't stall out. Being young in the profession, it might be easy to say, I can't get started because I don't have a process for everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's not true. You, you have to just take one step at a time and get out there. And then through the experience of being faced with something you didn't anticipate, then you create that process. Mm -hmm. And you can buy processes too. So <laughs> Yes, I, have, I, brought some, I, I brought some too. <laughs> I brought some examples of ones that are available for purchase. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that perhaps, helps a lot. <laughs> perhaps you will choose to write a process and sell it, and then, and then the, the client work will be all for fun and not for income. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I keep such thinking, a you know, we're all such smart people. We ought to be able to figure out something we can create and sell. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I Google it, and there it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was, shoot. Yeah. Be your next career, Lynn. You can. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. But I think it's, as you were talking, Lynn, about going out, being young and going out in the world, and, you know, prospecting, meeting new people. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's important to have processes in place, at least this, the skeleton of what it's going to look like yeah. wherever you're at. So, so that you're not going in, well, I don't know. I guess we could do that. Yeah. Or no, it's it's no. I, I think this is what this is how we do things where I'm at, or you know, this is what I believe in. This is 
this is how we structure things and these are our processes and stuff. But I couldn't agree more with you that processes stem from experience. The you know the you know oh I didn't know we could do that or maybe I should do it this way and that the process comes in you know and that's where the process comes from. Yeah, so, yes. completely. Why we're here, exactly. It really so. is difficult to begin in this career with right out of the box without some foundation around you mm-hmm. for exactly that reason. I, uh, early on in my career, I had a client that was completely trained and very good at what she did working for a large corporation. But she got retired at a young age due to changes of the mm-hmm. company, made the decision to go out on her own, start her own business, which I encouraged because I didn't see any reason. I did not foresee that she would be frozen in the planning process and would never feel confident that to go out and get that first client. And I have never forgotten that experience. And I've, every time I mentor young people, and no matter what profession they're in, I remember what I was told by a mentor when I first broke into this business, and that is, you're, you already know more than the clients you're sitting across the table from. This company has given you a great process that if you'll follow it will not fail you. You just have to have the confidence to go out there and do and not be afraid. Always being open and and explain to a client, this is my process, this is the company I'm with, this is what's behind me, this is the thought behind my ideas, but there's probably going to be something that might not go exactly the way we expect. And if that happens, then this is what I'll do. I'll make sure it gets corrected or I'll make sure the next step is taken if something was failed to implement. You therefore let the client know that you have a process you you rely on, you have people supporting you, but you're not afraid to, you know, make a mistake. (laughs) That's how we all learn. If you... Odds are you won't make a mistake. Odds are there won't be any problems. And then you've told your client there might be, and you've also reassured them how you'll handle it, but then you surprise them with the positive side that there was no problem. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, you touched on a point that I, I have a hard time accepting and, and internalizing is that I know more than the people sitting across the table from me because I'm young, you know, uh, but as I'm explaining what, you know, what I believe in, in, in the wealth management world, as I'm explaining that to say my wife, I'm like, do you, it should be like, Oh, I never knew that. Or I didn't understand that or something. I'd be like, like, really? Like this seems like it should be common knowledge for a lot of people, but it's just, it's just not. And, and so the fact that you touched on that just reassured that, that inside me that I do know a little bit more than I'm giving myself credit for. I think that, Thank you. You do. Do you want to jump into our processes that we have? Our <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. You go first. I go first. Okay. So within processes, you have your processes, your checklist, and your workflow, right? And I have my computer. I can pull it up. I don't think I printed off the workflow or the checklist. Um, but I know I've talked about it here before. I'm a huge fan of the Fox Financial Planning Network. And essentially what she did was she took her practice and put processes and steps to every single um, 
step of it. And so what I want to do, I can show you guys just, this is the process. This is just straight from their materials. Um, I've adapted it to my own, but, and I didn't print it in color, which I wish I would have, but everything here is color coded. So every client documents a certain color, every, what the advisor's responsible is a certain color and what the client's responsible for is, um, a certain color, but it just walks through, you know, this is just for one meeting. So it walks through every step of every like part of that process. Um, so it's kind of intense. Mm -hmm. Um, and so each one of these, and then like each like deliverable has its own process on how to do that. Um, let me pull up my computer because that'll be easier to kind of show you what I'm talking about. Yeah, for sure. But it's, yeah, so you have the process and the process will often tell you to go to a checklist and checklist is make sure you have everything off. And then once you go through that checklist, you can go back to your process. Mm -hmm. And then, so this basically gives me anxiety looking at it because mm -hmm. I hate processes. Um, I, I recognize how important they are, but my brain does not work in a linear process way. <laughs> I'm much more of, I identify more mm -hmm. with like that creative, how do you, you know, how do you pull all this together? Um, and so processes are very, very hard for me. Um, but before we get there, yeah, so this is just going through, like this is these processes here of, you know, what does every step of the process look like? I want to show you. So here's the workflow. And this is, you know, assuming that you have an assistant and a pair of planners. So, like, I don't have a pair of planners. So, like, that's my role. But it's saying, you know, here's the visual flow of what has to happen. Like, you know, you start out from, you know, scheduling the meeting, grab, you know, getting the documents. And then, because what happens in a process, especially when you're at a company, is that in order for me to do my job, I need information from somebody else and, and kind of that flow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is just the visualization of that. And then... Um, this is just the meeting overview of what everything is. So like the purpose of the meeting, here's the agenda items that I'll go through with the clients on that meeting. Um, here's my internal documents that I need to fill out or make sure that are completed. Mm -hmm. And then here's my client deliverables that I have for that. And then here is that basic workflow that I showed you that was like visualized of like who has to do what in order mm -hmm. for all of this to get done. Um, so that's like the overview. Um, and then you know, this is going into the nitty gritty of, you know, when we say run an e-money report, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, are those reports going to be consistent? Are they not going to be consistent? Um, or, you know, or are there special things that this client needs versus other, you know, you can customize all of that. Um, and then, yeah. And then, you know, each one of these items here has a whole nother supporting documents behind it. So it's mm -hmm. a lot of work that goes into building out processes. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the baseline that I started using it with. To have that many items in my CRM would, I, I can't, like, mm -hmm. I, I can't, I would be curled up in a ball. So what I did is I actually pulled out like my processes for meeting with clients. Oh, here we go. Yeah, this is that workflow and then the meeting overview. Um, so what I did, I just pulled from my CRM because your CRM is really kind of the engine that drives all of your processes. So here's, I took all of this information and condensed it down. So it's just me and assistant right now. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, 
have the need for kind of some of the extensive stuff that other people do, but I do need structure around what I do. And so here is, I think it's a 20 something, 23 step process for how I have all my financial planning process that I meet with clients. So like the first step is for my assistant, you know, prep for prospective client meeting. So they, you know, and attached to that step in that process, there's the five documents that every new prospect client meeting or, you know, prospect gets all of these documents and they're just right there. So we're not having to go search. It's just streamlined and easy. And then, you know, the next one is the meeting with the prospective, you know, the prospective clients. And then it's just very short description. And then we actually have a script that we use, you know, just baseline of like, here's all the things that I want to make sure that I say to a prospective client. Mm -hmm. So I have that attached. And then, um, you know, the client setup, making sure, you know, everything's in my CRM right. Um, going down, you know, to reviewing the financial documents. So there's part of my system and part of me, you know, we have different roles in that. And it just walks through every single meeting. And this is not as in-depth as this other stuff is, or maybe even Lynn, your firm is because you have more of a staff, but this is, this works with how I think and how I operate around processes. We operate in much the same way, but we have not integrated with CRM like this. And it's unfortunate. It would be a very helpful thing to do, but it's, we're just limited right now. We made a choice uh, company-wide that we would stay with the resources provided to us through Raymond James because we pay them a fee <laughs> to use their service. And, and even though it's not ideal, the CRM that they have right now is, an, is a Microsoft Outlook-based CRM. And it's just not capable of this mm -hmm. kind of detail, but it's great. So we have that element of human error if someone would drop one of these yep. pieces, whereas this helps you keep that in the forefront. Very, mm -hmm. very important tool. We're hoping that the next upgrade to our CRM at Raymond James will allow us to have that. Right. And it's, yeah, work flow training is not high on my, <laughs> it's like, it might be even worse than like a lot of the compliance tasks that I have to do of doing it, but it's, it's really important. And I should probably say, it's probably a good thing. My assistant isn't here to be like, now, Hannah, how much do you need? Like, <laughs> cause she's often the one being like, okay, you, you see this, like, have you done that? Like kind of coaching me through that, yeah. but that's what good assistants do. So. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the nitty gritty of what I kind of broad. Um, I just made another checklist like, like this week because I have, you know, obviously as an RIA, a lot of the compliance issues that I need to be working through. And I just have just a compliance checklist, a quarterly client that I just go through and now I'm just checking off and it's helping me make sure that I get done everything that I need to get done and providing some form of like accountability that just says, you know, I can't miss any of these things every quarter. So I just, I can, it's somewhere in here. Look at that. Yeah. Could, could you explain, I think I have an idea of the differences between a process and a workflow. Could you explain? Mm -hmm. So, um, any, you, no, go whichever. ahead. So a process is going to be like the big picture of mm -hmm. how, or no, wait, the workflow is the big picture. So okay. the workflow is a client comes in, what are, like, I guess you almost say like the client experience. But it's more than that. Well, I think overall the process is more of a story you tell. The process mm -hmm. you could tell someone on the back of an envelope almost. Yeah. If you come to my office, then the entire team will be 
available to you, each of us working on our top skills. And we're going to greet you with coffee and, or whatever is your drink of choice. And we'll hold a meeting and, you know, and you just tell the story, but the workflow is the nitty gritty behind it. Emma prepares every document in advance. She requests that you send documents in advance of a meeting and make sure that we receive them in time to, you know, that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's the nitty gritty behind the story so that when the client arrives, we're able to deliver on that process that we've described. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes perfect sense. Thank you. On the other hand, I brought a similar system that is not integrated with CRM like that. You'll, You'll need to take this to your team members if you're interested. And you may have already heard about it. It's free material. And when we finish today, if you're interested, I will email you the entire workbook. It's an Excel-based workbook. Mm -hmm. But it's put out by Russell. Have you heard of the Russell Roadmap? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, here are... um, And I'll give one. Have you ever experienced Russell Roadmap? Okay. Without reading to you, I will just say that it is a roadmap to help you create a client experience around all of the elements of planning that circulates. So if you'll go to the third page, you'll see a picture of the of the roadmap circulates through a two-year period of time mm-hmm. outlining what you will cover each quarter when you meet with those clients. And it enables you to do two things. Your meetings don't get stale because you're always talking about exactly the same thing every time. Mm -hmm. You have less risk of a client saying, I don't think anything's changed since the last time we met. Do we really need to come in? You'll customize this based on the client's need because not every client comes in every quarter. But you don't drop any of these items. So if you're meeting only twice a year, then you'll combine several meetings into one. But this does give you, in the workbook that I can send by email, it gives you a services menu. There's a tab that talks about that. There's a checklist tab that makes sure that if you if you had someone in your office that could create that workflow mm-hmm. for you, you you would use that checklist to make sure the workflow is complete. And then it gives you the ability to customize this roadmap to make it fit your own uh, client base. I love this for so many reasons, because but primarily because it does hold me accountable to not fail to talk about estate planning, even though my client might only be 26 years old, because it's so easy for me to mentally say, well, that's not an important item, but it is. It's important no matter what. So this is one I would suggest is a great place to start around processes that would allow you to, and it gives checklists and it's free. Um, Thank you. And very comprehensive. Mm -hmm. Uses colors like yours. (laughs) Data entry. You know, anyway, I like it. It it does a lot of homework for you, but you still have Mm -hmm. to put it to work. My water spilled. Well, and I think so much of processes too is like you can get this outline, but then how do you interject your personality into it and interject like your unique point of view? Because, you know, at the end of the day, the clients are there 
because of you. I mean, mm-hmm. like you're the one that keeps them there. And so I think, you know, a lot of, I don't want to give bias here, but a lot of young women, especially like, it's just like, you have to do these things this way and you have to kind of fit into this, this box. And it's like, no, if you have the structure, then you can kind of bring in your own flair to a lot of these things. Well, it is you, it's you and your story. So again, as a young professional, be good at telling your story. Why are you even in this room? Why are you in this business? No matter what the answer is, it's yours and your clients care about it. And it'll, I promise if they can tell your story, they will. And they'll tell that a whole lot more quickly than they'll say, oh, they got this fabulous process. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's (laughs) color-coded. It's color-coded. That comes out secondarily, again, after the story. They'll say, and and you know, they never drop a ball, and everything gets done, and it's so timely, and, you know. But the first thing is going to be how great it is that, you know, he gets me. And he's in this business because this and this and this, and I love that about him <laughs> yeah. or her. Um, I had a question. Which which process or processes um, do you wish you'd had in place when you began? Which is which one was the one where you're like, I missed that. Dang it, I missed that one. That I wish I'd had something put together for that, you know, was there one moment when you're sitting in front of a client where you're just like, yeah, I'm going to put that together tomorrow or today. So was there ever a moment like that or? Yeah. This is a question. I feel like there's always moments where I'm like, Oh, that's a great idea. Client. Like I'm going to, I'm going to get something pulled together for that. Um, Yes, I have an answer to that. I don't want to do all the talking. Have I been? No, over? this is great. You can move things around, can't you? <laughs> okay. We actually this this piece I'm going to give you. Um, the company gives out for free, and we attended a session where they gave this. It's the company is called CEG, and we paid for the training to go deeper into this process. But when I first saw this process, this page that I'm about to show you, the light bulb went off in exactly the way you described, you know, I wish I would have been putting it down on paper like this all along because it tells, it gives me the way to tell a client what they can expect and it takes off of the table from me in the first meeting the idea that I need to convert this person to be a client today. If I don't say the right thing today, they may never come back. This process completely takes that off the table and it's amazing how it changes the way that you interact with a client in the initial meeting when you're telling them as a part of the process, we are not making a decision today. This is pure discovery, discovery for you, discovery for me. So I'll, I'll let you have these and I'll um, explain what I mean a little bit more fully. The first meeting is pure discovery. We try our best to learn as much as we can about the client and allow them to ask us a few questions, although the point is not for them to ask us questions as much as it is for us to ask them questions. 
um, but it's pure discovery. And then we can tell the client, in two weeks' time, we need to get back together. While this is all fresh on our mind, we're going to do some work in the background with our investment and planning minds around what you've shared with us today, and we'll come together with an outline of what we think a good investment planning strategy and, and financial planning strategy might be, and we'll share that with you. So it frames when the next meeting will happen. We're still not making a decision until the third meeting, showing a client that in our process, you're going to have three meetings with us before you're ever asked to make a decision whether you want to commit has, I would say, changed the ratio of prospective clients that become clients to almost 100%. Almost 100%, whereas... I would have, I think before it was four prospects to one mutual commitment. So yes, this, this one change, this one process of having those three meetings, I wish I would have been doing that from day one, especially when I was very, very young in the industry. See, it takes the whole focus away from experience when what you're doing is listening to a client and giving them an opportunity. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, this is great. Thank you very yeah. much for this. I appreciate it. So what does that second meeting look like? We do deliver a written document, and we tell them if, if we haven't resonated, if, if, if you don't see any reason to go to the, third, to the third meeting where we would make a mutual commitment and sign a, a full-fledged investment policy statement and planning agreement with us, then please take this and take it to any other advisor to implement it. it but it, it's the framework of an investment policy statement. It's the framework of an investment allocation that is in broad asset classes. It compares, and if you had been invested this way compared to how you were invested, um, then it shows them the difference. Um, it outlines what we heard them say. Mm -hmm. So we completely transcribe or transpose everything that they said, what were their goals, short-term, mid-term, long-term, what had they been doing to accomplish those goals, what were the most important relationships to them, what did, who did they anticipate needing to care for later in life, what had they already done regarding their estate planning, we transpose all of that in this second document, too. And then they read it. It's amazing. If you don't get it right, they'll correct you. We also include in that document, in round dollars, it's not meant to be an actual balance sheet, but we do put a balance sheet together of what they disclose to us. That's another thing. It's amazing. When they see that down on paper, and they realize it's not complete, there is something about human nature they can't help but tell us, oh, well, I also have this, this, and this. They want it to be complete. So it's, this process is very special in the way that it draws information out of people, and it establishes a real feeling of trust. So do they go into that third meeting expecting to, I mean, what is, if they don't want to sign up for you, like with your services, do they still get a third meeting? 
They do if they're not being completely honest with us in the second meeting. And so I, I can say that we have had that. We've had three that come to my mind immediately, and there could have been more, where they accepted that third meeting. But there again, there's also something about human nature that says this third meeting is going to require an awful lot of work on our part, and it's a mutual commitment meeting. It's the day when we're going to sign on the dotted line and, and begin the process of working together. Most people that aren't feeling right will say, "There's, an, I, don't, I don't have a need for that. But I've had three go all the way through that, and they're delivered an investment policy statement. They're delivered a document that gives not only broad asset classes, but actual portfolio design. Um, the framework of their initial financial plan is in that first, is in this meeting. And if they don't sign, we don't force them to leave it on the table. It's, it's their document to take with them, whether they sign it or not. So the really, you're doing the investments balance sheet, and then after they sign that agreement, then you do like the financial planning mm -hmm. portion of it. Right. The real in-depth financial planning, we start the roadmap process of looking at insurance documents and wills and estate planning and educational planning and whatever applies. We bring in outside experts if there's something that is in there that is outside of our area of expertise. This first one, in the discovery meeting, we're always asking the client who are their advisors, CPA. We get permission up front to, if they choose to go forward with us, to reach out to those professionals. So we document in, in, the doc, in the document that's delivered at the second meeting, we list out their professionals. And if we don't have it right, that's their opportunity to correct us. But no, uh, we've adopted this. You could pull these down off of our website. Um, and our whole process is built around this. So after they sign up, I mean, do you have separate meetings for like the insurance mm -hmm. and the estate planning? Mm -hmm. So it's these three meetings plus more meetings. Right. So you see the loop at the end. About every 90 days for the first year, maybe even two, depending on how complex the client is, we'll be meeting with them. And they know that going in, that the mm -hmm. first year is going to be meeting intensive because you don't want to address too much at one time. And then after that, it settles into, uh, we have a few quarterly clients, but for the most part, our clients are twice a year. That's right. The backside, that's your cocktail napkin storytelling. If someone says to you, what is wealth management, then you get really good at, I actually have done that on a cocktail napkin plenty of times. <laughs> Turn it into a math problem. There you go. So do you guys have younger clients? Part, yes, we do. So do you have, well, I guess with this process, because it is so, I mean, it's time intensive for you, especially at the front end. Do you guys have like an asset minimum or anything? Yes and no. We have three rules about new clients. And because I'm 60 and Tom is 60, we have a team in place of your generation. And we 
we realize that the clients they're going to source and bring on in on in into our practice need to match these three things just as much as our clients do. The only difference is going to be how much money they've already saved just because they have had less time to save money. Number one and most important, the client has to be somebody that we like that's nice because there is no amount of money that will ever compensate you for a client that is not a good fit personality-wise. And the entire team meets the client, so it's not just me saying we're going to take this client. Everyone has to agree that, number one, this is a client that is nice. And we also look for family stewardship based just because that's a focus in our practice. I'm a chartered advisor in philanthropy. We, we're looking for clients that want to be involved in giving to their community. And if we don't see any signs of that, odds are we aren't going to take them, but that's not a, that's a secondary to, to like. Then they have to have already saved if they're of a certain age, or they have to have the cash flow to allow them to save if they're a younger client. And mainly we're, we're very hard and fast on that to protect the people in our office that are of your generation, young advisors. You don't want to clog your book with clients that don't have the income to save. They, they have to be able to put money aside. <coughs> so, no, I believe rather than just saying a dollar minimum or something like that. Right. Or, yeah. We used to put out a minimum when it was just Tom and me, but we, we backed away from that now that we have the next generation in place. They, they need to be able to look at other things besides how much money is in the portfolio already today. Do your, do your fee schedules, do they change according to if uh, you know, a person's in their early career, doesn't have a great investable net worth, but they have the cash flow to begin saving, do you still charge an AUM and do you charge a retainer? We do charge clients? an AUM and we have some who are not ready to invest with us yet, but they want to mm -hmm. get a good, robust plan. And so we have a few that have paid us for a plan. Oh, mm -hmm. That's pretty rare. Okay. But if they open an account and begin investing, our, our fee schedule is applied and it gets, it goes down the percent of, like all fee schedules in our business, the percent being charged goes down as the assets increase. Okay. You charge a financial planning fee? Not a separate financial planning, except for those one-offs where they're just not in a position for one reason or another to begin investing. Most often it, it's because they have the cash flow and they're happy to save and they're still not maxing out their 401k and, and they have the ability to save a little bit outside of a 401k and they're doing that on their own, yeah. but they wanted the plan. Maybe perhaps they had children or whatever and they just needed to know how much to save. We'll do a one-off one plan for that client and then let them do their thing and check back with us in a few years <laughs> as opposed to an annual retainer. Mm -hmm. Have you guys considered moving away from AUM to a retainer model? 
I will let that be the decision of the of the next generation. Yes. In fact, I've I've pretty much said this is becoming the Lynn show. <laughs> I've pretty much said I am not making any of those kinds of business direction meeting decisions anymore for for our firm. It needs to be coming from the younger ownership because they're going to be the ones living in the world 10 years from now, not me. <laughs> You're going to be on the beach. <laughs> I'll still be helping with planning and with clients, but I just won't be calling the shots. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, do you find that I feel like you're such, you're very unique in that perspective from what I run into with other advisors. So among your peer group, mm -hmm. do you see other advisors kind of with that same mindset or, I mean, what would, do you see other advisors with that mindset or what, did, what, what do you see among your peers kind of? A mixed bag, honestly, but I think it's human nature. Most people want to hang on to what they know. And so that would be the vast majority, I would say, is this is what's been working well for us. Therefore, that's what we're going to do. I just think there's so much changing. I know what we've been doing works. So I would always hold that out as a model for our team to consider. But we got some smart people on our team and I definitely give them credit for being able to see where this industry is going and what might be a better fit for that. You, you know, it's the whole Gretzky's gate to where the puck's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> and Hannah, I'm curious, um, mm -hmm. how would you define like the retainer model or how does that process work? I haven't gone gotten on the retainer model mm -hmm. train yet. It just doesn't make sense to me. I feel like if I it's not internalized, I can't I can't sell it to clients yeah. because I only can sell things that I one hundred percent believe in. So I know, I mean you see the XY planning network with their monthly retainer model. People are making it work. Um, so I think, you know, it's where are the results. Um, so, but that just it doesn't fit me with what I want to do. I see some, you know, I see some people talking about you know changing, going from AUM to retainer, but then they're still basing it on the one percent, so it doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, so I've seen people where you know if they charge a client ten thousand dollars annually, they just say you know instead of an AUM fee where this fluctuates, it's just ten thousand dollars, and the billing is just the way it's done. Um, as I've kind of moved away from the broker dealer and into the RAA space, like in the broker dealer world, that just seems so like never will that happen. Yeah. But in the RAA space now, I mean, I do all my billing. I was working on it this morning and it's like, well, I could totally see how this would just be a very easy, natural transition from billing from AUM to a retainer model. Um, so I don't know. I'm still kind of in that, in that middle space. Do either of you have clients that, one, one, you have a client that's on the retainer and a client that's on AUM. And have you, if not, have you seen that happen before? We just don't have any it? on retainer. You don't? Mm -mm. Um, the closest that I have, I've started a service uh, for like widow services. Mm -hmm. So like women who've like lost their husband. I mean, like I want to start working with them like the month their husband dies. Um, and so that's all kind of that retainer model, mm -hmm. uh, financial planning fee where I'm like, this is not about investments. Like, 
all of the other planning stuff is coming into play. And um, I was meeting with a woman recently and she was just talking about like investments and she's just like, I can't even imagine thinking about it. And so I helped her find the best CD for her, you sure. know, for a year or whatever that could be. Uh, but that's kind of in my practice, the only place where there's kind of that real true retainer model with no AUM on it. And there's no expectation. I mean, she may work with me for her assets. She may not like, but that's not, I'm getting paid for my work now, so I'm not so much concerned about later. But I think there's a lot of interesting models that are kind of developing around retainers. And, and as the public becomes more aware of financial planning and their need of financial planning, I think that's going to help kind of shape the conversation. So I didn't know you've seen, uh, they would call that assets under advisory. Oh, yeah. And they didn't call it a retainer because, like say, like lawyers we use that term and it means something a little bit different. Yeah, but I have... I remember you were interviewing or talking to somebody and they they worked at like a retainer but at the same time AUM, but they weren't managing everything, so they called it AUA and they still kind of uh, tweaked that retainer number based on mm-hmm. so the, the overall amount of assets that they were advising. Yeah. But that's that's kind of like a four oh one K or something. Or yeah. real estate. So like there's some advisors who are really like have like that's kind of their specialty is mean like helping around real estate. It's how do you get paid for that? Yeah. You know? And so that's where that like assets under advisement would come in where you could bill mm-hmm. in, you know, add in those outside assets. You'll find through the years, if you really become the CFO for your client, which is what we, that's how we describe ourselves to our clients. They'll be calling you about all kinds of things that you'll never be able to take under yeah. management or, or bill on. And you'll, our decision has always been that we don't bill on that. We, we just bill based on what we're managing. That model has worked for us <laughs> and the rest is goodwill and goodwill goes a long way. Yeah. yeah. Making loyal clients. Yeah. There's such a thin, there's, I can only imagine how many different advisors think so many different ways of what you just said. Like, We'll advise on it. We'll give you some advice on it. We're not going to charge you on it. I can see other advisors being like, we advise on what we are, what we are holding. And that, and that is it. Or, you know, we'll advise you, but we're going to charge you a thousand dollars. And so it's just interesting to think of the dynamics of how many different ways there are to think about what you just said. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, and how it's going to go, I don't, which direction it's going to go. I have no idea. Well, and the fiduciary rule changes, that's a big risk, what we do. If you advise on something that you've, regardless of whether you're compensated or not, you are advising. And therefore, if there was a problem, it could come back. At, you know, so some would say, I'm going to bill, I'm going to bill on that advice so that I've at least been compensated for it. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't know, it could be that the industry changes to the point that you have to bill. I mean, I don't know whether they're going to need you to bill or not want you to bill. It's so confusing that it needs to be a younger person to figure it out. I, I'm literally, yeah. I'm being honest, it's yeah. too confusing for me to get my head around. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I have so many questions. Go for it. That's no. the point. Um, which processes, sorry to kind of change this back, but which processes, this one I can see is very useful, 
have you found most useful and that you're like your bread and butter? Like this is a, you, you go to a prospect meeting, this is my bread and butter process. This is, you know, this is the one I go to when I need to be on my A game. Is there a specific one that y'all turn to that, and I, I can see this one being the it. The discovery process. This one being mm-hmm. it. Um, For me. But. It, yeah. It's so, it, in every setting, whether I'm reaching out to a new prospective professional that I want to learn more about, I, I turn on the discovery process mode. Discovery process. We may or may not find that we can work together. We may or may not ever have any common clients, but let's just have a conversation around, you know, why did you get into the business and what do you love about it? But discovery, absolutely, that is my go-to. That's really interesting because you're saying, you know, so many of us like have just have normal conversations, but you're viewing conversations as a process. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really neat Mm -hmm. connection. Hannah, is there anything, anyone that, that you turn to, you're like, I gotta, this is, this is, my, this is my best, this is... Well, I think the whole like financial planning process, and I, maybe I'm hearing your question a little bit differently, but it's, that gives me so much confidence so when I'm talking to a prospect, I'm like, you know, here, here's what we do in every meeting, like I can lay out exactly what we're going to do, and you know, it gives comp- clients the confidence that like everything's going to get covered, mm-hmm. you know, and so it, it, when I got that, it changed everything, like with how I related to clients, how clients related to me. Like it was, it's, it was such a game changer. It went from being like the investment person to being the financial planner. And I think that, you know, we're as a profession, we're kind of stuck in between that right now. And I think process is what pulls us over into like, what is true, a true financial, profession, a true profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's, yeah. that's great. And so many advisors, I don't feel like have processes, you know, especially when I was with what I've seen, um, at my last place, it was just, there was a lot of fly by the seat of your pants. And I think that's, you know, kind of the difference between, you know, brokers versus real true professionals. And, you know, so many young advisors are kind of, you know, thinking about going out on their own or, you know, a lot of people I hear from. And it's like all of this stuff is stuff that you can be doing now. So, like, if your first day you open, probably shouldn't be like, okay, now i got to figure out my processes. I'm like, what do I want? How do I want to service clients? It's probably not a good idea. Like, there's a lot of work you can put into beforehand. That's true. But remember my client who got stuck in that planning phase. Yeah. She never got beyond it. She had her processes. She had her pens. She had her binders. She had the right fingernails. I thought I was going to pull my hair out that she wouldn't go out there and meet with a client until it felt like she had to have everything in place. There's definitely a time before you have everything in place that you need to be meeting with people. Yeah. And that, that for me, maybe I can appreciate her wanting to be prepared. I get me. I get that. You know, if you're not prepared, you're going to look pretty silly, but you know, being prepared and then actually the point of being prepared versus walking out of your office and, and, you know, for her, it was different. And, And I haven't been in that situation yet where I'm like, okay, I need to actually leave my office and I need to go talk to somebody. I need to go talk to this person. I haven't been there yet, so I, ha- I can't say that 
where it is for me, but I'm excited to see where that, where, where it will be. And I'm sure it will evolve over time where I get more comfortable knowing, you know, exactly what I want to specialize in or things that I like to do or things like that. Service. So my question for the two of you would be, what are you learning? Well, first of all, in your mind, is this business a relationship business or not? Is it a transactional business? Which, which is it? Oh, it's a relationship. Okay. Yeah. All right. So That's given, it, yeah. given that it's a relationship business, what are you learning about the engagement with a client when you're preparing your processes? Hmm. I'm going to write that question down. I always think like what I, what I think is how do you get to the root of the client's concerns? Because they'll say something like, well, I, my, uh, I, I'm afraid to spend money or I'm afraid I'm going to lose my money. Well, okay. Well, where does that stem from? Where does, let's, let's get to the real, real issue. And, and once we find what that issue is, we can, we can, we can answer it. We can, we can resolve it. Right. You know, so it's, I guess that's something I ought to think about when, when, when thinking about processes is answering the root, the main concern, as opposed to, oh, you don't like to spend money. Well, you're going to have to. I'm sorry. But anyway, so it's, you know, finding the real root of the issue. So, so. I mean, it may be different for somebody else. It's, that's, that's the beauty of it. It's a dynamic. Yeah. I think working for the bank particularly, because we're referred in on many specific situations, whether it's we need a collateral account for this loan or they need a CD for this or, you know, for whatever reason. So it's that creating from a transactional relationship to a relationship relationship. Say that um, can be difficult sometimes, and that's something I'm still not struggling, but trying to just develop in my own mind as far as and, and that question really hit home for me there, just because it's sometimes if you're brought in for one specific thing and your focus is to deliver, deliver on that thing, and you know it's good, it's still business, but it's not everything. It's not ideal for what you want to be doing. Right. Yeah. So. So much about, about designing processes anticipatory, and it's good to think through those, what if they ask this, what would I say? What if they ask this, what would I say? What if they present this, what would I do? But you're not learning what the true engagement is until you actually face that client. Mm -hmm. And then you learn, and then you fix the process as a result. And you cannot be afraid of failure, absolutely cannot be afraid of failure or pushback. Because that is the only way I know of for you to learn anything in this business is to be in front of a client and experience a pushback yeah. <laughs> and deal with it successfully or not successfully. So have the processes, but don't let them, don't wait till they're perfect. That would be my. That adds a little reassurance. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting on your point, you know, that are we specialists or are we generalists? I mean, if you look at the example of like a doctor, like you can go to a surgeon, like you can go to a brain surgeon and they're very specialized. So you said like people are reaching out to you for very specific things, like that's a specialty. But, you know, you look at financial planning, like 
people still have their overall health. Like, yes, they've had their brain surgery or whatever surgery they had, but then it's like, they still need that bigger, there's, there's still my multivitamins. They still, you know, blood, like all of those other things. And like, that's kind of an interesting specialist to generalist. So like you're in the specialist role right now versus like the generalist. They want to come back at the end of the day, the clients in this industry that cleave to financial planning, they want to come back to that one person that they perceive to be the one who knows the most about them which is why discovery is so important. If you take the time to do full discovery and really know everything about your client, you become that person that they come to. That makes sense. And the three words, the tell me more, mm -hmm. can be some of the best that you can have with your client. Mm -hmm. It's just, even when you don't know what to say, <laughs> Just tell me more. When you're delivering your CDs, I used to work in a bank channel. Mm -hmm. um, and I know you have to honor the prior relationship, who it is that brings you to the table. Mm -hmm. But there's certainly no, nothing wrong with you having a conversation with the client about, you know, what, what brings you to the bank? How did you choose our bank? What, you know, how did you even, who suggested the CD, you know? Yeah. Um, discover something. Yeah. We're excited to have Dr. Nathan Harness on the show next week. Nathan shares with us some of his work on the past, present, and future of financial planning. As a future of the financial planning profession, this will apply to most of us listening to the podcast. It's good stuff. You won't want to miss it. Thanks again to the Milestone Group and the Bank of Texas Private Bank for hosting us at their new location. And as always, thank you for listening.